Hello, sir. Well, hello. It's not morning for me, so I can't say good morning to you. Ah, yes. We bumped it a little later because I'm visiting family uh, out in California for a week. I'm on Pacific time and you allowed me to sleep. <laughs> I thought it was the, the best thing to do. <laughs> I appreciate it. Derek that. is not, not as good radio, probably. Less good radio. So Less good radio. Yes. That's good. I was looking at our last podcast and I have good news, which is that I have groceries in my house. Oh, good. Oh, yes. I was worried. I was worried for a yep. little bit there. I've been to the grocery store multiple times, actually. So I've stocked up. I've got healthy food. I've got junk food for when I need it. I've got, I'm, I'm good to go. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah. I also am coming up on one month of straight of meditating every day. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. I did like a little accountability agreement with uh, a Canadian person who shall not be named. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, my, my side of the bargain was to stop drinking caffeinated coffee and to meditate every morning for mm. 10 minutes. Okay. Uh, and uh, I do miss the coffee. I'll admit it. I think it's been good. The idea was just kind of like, I found myself getting like kind of anxious early, like in the, in the day, like 10, 11 o'clock after I like mainlined a huge amount of really intense coffee. And I was like, maybe these things are related. So I decided to take a break from, the, from that. Are you doing tea? Are you doing like a ca- like a caffeinated yeah. alternative? Okay. Right. Yeah, I've been doing like green tea or black tea or something like that. So less, some caffeine still, but, but a lot less. Right, right. One thing I've been doing, I have upped my coffee intake. I don't think I've upped my caffeine intake that much because I um, will brew it at home and I can kind of control, you know, how much I put in, obviously. And so I've just been brewing sometimes coffee like a little bit on the weaker side. And so I have like my hot coffee flavored beverage that I'm sipping on all afternoon, but it's not necessarily like causing me to buzz off the off the ledge. So nice. Apparently you can buy like a half calf coffee bean, like already just kind of partially decaffeinated, which sounds sounds good to me. So I might try that as I ease back into to it. Right. Yeah. It's the ritual of drinking coffee, I think, that it's like psychosomatic. Like it will wake me up even if it's decaf sometimes. Like, like sometimes it just has that effect. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I definitely miss that. Like when I w- first wake up in the morning, I'm like, oh, I do want to go get the coffee. And then I'm like, oh, I can't get the coffee. And that sucks. Yeah. So we had a cool thing happen since last time we recorded, which is uh, Tuple got mentioned in the Wall Street Journal. Whoa. Mainstream press. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, it was just sort of a short uh, mention. It was funny. I-, I talked to the person that wrote the article for maybe like an hour and we ended up with like a paragraph in a, a much larger piece. <laughs> it was funny. I, after the interview, I was talking to people and they're like, oh, that's so cool. I'm like, yeah, yeah. But like, just, you know, keep your expectations low because you never know what you're going to actually get. We might not even show up. You know, you could get just edit it out entirely. Yeah, that's so, been my experience. But it's still pretty with, cool with the press. <laughs> that's cool. So how did that come about? Did they did they approach you? Yeah, I don't know how he initially found us, but this article was about companies shifting to like work from home status and like what they're what they're doing to adapt and somehow like we were like one hit one of his examples of kind of a niche tool for a very like specific use case and he has he has others of like you know broader use cases and whatnot but he i don't know how he found us originally that's cool well yeah nonetheless they found you yeah that's pretty cool i've had random people like my cousin texted me this morning was like you were in the wall street journal (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's true that's funny. And of course, mainstream media PR type stuff is pretty hard to do like attribution tracking. So like, have you noticed any kind of anomaly in your metrics at all from this? No, or? no. Okay. <laughs> okay. 
the original version of the piece didn't even didn't link to us but I, I emailed the author i was like hey would you mind just like throwing a link in there and he's like oh yeah sure and so he we got that after all and honestly that's probably one of the highest value pieces just like the seo juice potentially from a hyperlink on <laughs> wall street journal <laughs> yep but yeah look at the analytics you can't even really tell when it happened so but i did have like another reporter from a different publication reach out and say he had seen us in there so maybe there'll be some like sort of some knock-on effects from that mm-hmm. that's cool which is pretty cool that's cool my mom was mad though because he didn't mention me by name. He referred to me as Tuple's chief executive. <laughs> That's a, she was she was annoyed. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, it's funny to get in the mind of a journalist and see what details they feel like are worth omitting and what is important. And a lot of times, I don't agree. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. I've I've heard this many times from people about this experience of of being interviewed and then what actually shows up in, in the press. You're like, that's eh, kind of right. And I had this a, a similar thing. Like he emailed me like to fact check, you know, a number of things before publishing. So like it wasn't like anything was egregious, but it was like, that's not quite how I would summarize it, but it's close enough that I don't want to make you rewrite it. So yeah, that's, that's sure. Yep. That's it. Mm-hmm. That. that reminds me of the, uh, like the, um, it's like almost a meme at this point that gets shared around. I think of like the, the first time GitHub was like mentioned on like CNN money watch or like one of those, like <laughs> those mainstream, like financial shows trying to explain what this code repository thing is. And it was hilarious. Yeah, That was classic. Yeah. They try, they try. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we also um, pushed a pretty big release. I guess that was Monday. Was it Monday? Might have been Monday. Yeah. We decided to try, uh, at least for a couple months, doing monthly releases. Mm-hmm. Kind of just batching mm-hmm. stuff up more for a few reasons. Like one is that just like making people update all the time is like a little bit annoying. We do have this kind of, we do have like an automatic download in the background. But if you like start tuple up, it has to kind of like reboot itself to, to apply the new update. So it can be like a little bit disruptive. And then also... We are working with a QA firm now, and it's nice to sort of get a bunch of changes in and then have the QA firm do like a full pass and then have a little time to, to catch the issues before we push it out. Is it frustrating at all? Because I mean, one of the one of the magical pieces of doing a web application is like being able to like come up with a feature idea or like like want to build something really fast for a user and then like implement it in an afternoon and, and push it. I mean, you already don't have that luxury when someone's downloading your software onto their computer anyways, right? Because you can't guarantee that people will update. But... Does that change the, the 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 feel a little bit? Yes, it does. I'm thinking of this as an experiment, and that is definitely the downside. Um, and like the, the other day, we we're having a discussion of like, okay, should we merge this to master and then work from that? And then like, how are we going to manage this? Like, should we work off of staging? And there's like changes that we finished like a couple days after we pushed the last release. And we're like, well, these would be nice to get out there, but we did just say we're not going to do it until the next month. And it's like, is this actually good? So we'll see. We'll see where we come down on it. It definitely has it has some drawbacks. Yeah, but that's not a that's not something I would have thought of. But it, to, it makes total sense that like it's annoying to have to like the fact that there's always updates every time they go to the app. That would probably get annoying. Exactly. But, and yeah. like we we settled on the simplification of everyone pairing has to be on the latest version. So like if you try to call somebody, like they'll have to update if they haven't done it yet. That was just to simplify our lives basically, uh, rather than worrying about like backwards compatibility. But it may be that there's like. We could certainly do a more sophisticated strategy of like kind of like more like a semver kind of thing. And I'm like, okay, anyone in the last couple versions can probably pair with each other if the this version has not incremented or something. So yeah, but yeah, that that would be like kind of a combinatorial explosion of like different <laughs> different like version compatibilities to maintain. That sounds like a nightmare. Um, sure. Yeah. Well, well. Yeah. Exactly. It's tricky. And most of the time, we don't push things that would like 
prevent people on different versions from pairing. Like a lot of the times the work is not like the, the core protocol or something, but often enough it is that it's probably worth the simplification. Yep. I, I do kind of want to revisit this and see like, is there a way we can get a fully silent non-user intervention required update happening in the background? If it just always were fully up to date, then this problem disappears. Like this is, this is that, then, then it would be kind of, there's no downside to, to the updates. Yeah. I suppose there may be some kind of like, like OS security level thing that may block that, but I don't know. I don't know anything about it. Doesn't it. seem to be. <laughs> no? Uh, oh, it good. seems to be possible. Uh, so we'll have to take a look at that. But another nice upside of this is that because we packaged up this release, it was kind of easy for me to, or like worth it, I guess, for me to like do like a full like email, blog post, Twitter thread kind of thing, describing everything. I like recorded a little hello video to say hi to people. It was kind of nice to package it all up into one thing and, and make it a little bit more of a of an event, I think. I saw that email because I'm on your customer list. It did look like a good, yeah, marketable opportunity. You bundle these things up. It's like kind of an, a, an excuse to kind of refresh, you know, people on people's minds and stuff. Mm-hmm. Seems like it'd have a good effect. Yeah. And that's something I've been trying to figure out for my, like I installed my little headway widget <laughs> in Mighty Cow. And like, uh-huh, yep. you know, maybe in an afternoon I'll build, you know, three different features and I kind of want to like put each one on there. But it's like, I don't want to keep spamming people with like, you know, the little notification bubble. So it's like, you know, what's what's the ideal cadence for letting people know about new stuff? And uh, yeah, because I get a little excited and want to post everything. <laughs> yes. Probably hard to do too many updates in your at your phase right now, though. Yeah, I that's people true. would that's like true. to see that. Yeah, that was kind of the thing that we were running into is like people were using Tuple for work a lot, and it was like part of their workflow. And we were pushing tons of updates, and most of them were small. And so it was kind of like eh, the interruption of updating versus how often I use this versus how much you're changing it. Not quite worth it here. Exactly. It's like we're we're a slightly more like a established part of the workflow, I imagine. Whereas your users are probably like signing up for that experience right you're like you're in the alpha like you want the, the all yes. the updates really fast yep yep totally so uh we also posted a job ad job description i guess um for a web rtc expert one of the most requested features for tuple is going beyond three people on a call but the the difference there is a substantial like you you need a different kind of architecture to do handle like uh basically we do a mesh network right now between the peers but to go to four five six seven you, you need to do like a different sort of uh, multicast kind of thing you need to like stream the things to like a central server and then that handles spreading the streams out oh, to other people interesting otherwise every peer has to broadcast to yeah. so then so then you're then you're effectively no longer peer to peer is that right like um right there's a, there's always going to be a server involved like an intermediate like or a server that everyone needs to talk to and hear from that's no joke it's like a big architectural mm-hmm. change and then like has like maybe like infrastructure requirements too. It's like, uh, who, where does the server live? Who runs it? How many of them are there? It's a big deal. And so we want to bring on someone who has expertise there and can help us do this, but then also continue to invest in like tuples, like reducing the latency, making it more stable, improve the performance, that kind of thing later on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But there's kind of a problem, uh, which is that these people are insanely rare. Mm. <laughs> It's a rare breed, huh? It's a rare breed, and they're super in demand. So, like, I emailed someone who's kind of prominent in this this in this field, and he was like, "Yeah, I get requests for referrals like three times a week." And I was like, "Oh, okay, cool. Well, give me them anyway." 
I have a backup plan. We put this job ad out there. I've been doing what I can to like put it in the right places and, and get it in front of people. And I'm hoping that we just find exactly what we want. That'd be great. That's the that's sort of plan A. But I do have a plan B, which is to grow this person. Hmm. So yeah. look for someone that has like maybe a lot of C++ experience and maybe some sort of real-time experience. Like maybe they're a game developer that like they've worked on a game engine or, or something similar, some sort of communications protocol and who is interested in learning this skill set. And the pitch for learning the skill set, I think, is actually pretty good because it's like, hey, this thing is really in demand. Uh, if you don't like working for us, you could go do this in a lot of places and make a ton of money, probably. So I think it's a pretty good pitch to come learn it while getting paid to do that. So I'm hoping that if we can't find exactly what we want, we'll be able to find someone who's interested, who's like a good candidate for that. Yeah. Yeah. Man, like, how does one even get up to speed, I wonder, on like, I'm like truly becoming expert level on this. Like, are there courses they can yeah. take? Or is there, what does the training look like for this? So there's not a ton of resources out there, but one thought I've had on this is there are a couple of consulting firms that specialize in this. And so possibly like include as we're going to buy you a stack of hours and like do some amount of pairing or something uh, with people from these firms to get you up to speed. Tricky, man. Um, it is tricky. So has this come from customer demand? Like people just really, really want to to be able to do multi-way right now? Or is this kind of like you can just see where the puck's going? Like, like you know, this will be important. I mean, it's both. Yeah. It's both, yeah. A lot of people want it. It makes sense. Like if you use Tuple and you like it, then you want to use it with more people. Occasionally, three's not enough. And having to, to be constrained that way or having to switch to a different tool is, is a bummer. We don't want people to have to do that, so... And then also like this is the initial project for this person, but then there's a lot, a lot of additional stuff like WebRTC being our core dependency. We want expertise in house to be like constantly tuning it and knowing how it works and making it better. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. And maybe and contributing back like we actually have a couple. I think a couple patches in WebRTC uh, now, and like we can keep doing that and keep making the product better or the project better. This is kind of exciting as well. It's not a perfect parallel, but like this is actually how I got my first Rails job. The place that I went to, this organization was hiring and they wanted a senior Rails developer and so did everyone else. And so they, they couldn't find anybody for, you know, after like four or five months. And so they changed the job and said like, all right, we'll hire a junior person and we'll train them up. And then I saw that ad and had been teaching myself Ruby on the side and it all worked out. Yeah, we, uh, we grew our own Rails developers too at Drip in the early days. Um, because we could we mm-hmm. couldn't afford seniors, <laughs> so we just totally. So we just re- we ran a class. Now, of course, teaching someone the fundamentals of Rails is arguably a bit easier than um, than uh, becoming a WebRTC expert, but still, <laughs> same idea. Yeah. Yep. Mm. Thoughtbot did the same thing. We had the same exact same problem, and so we start like Thoughtbot started like a whole apprentice program, and, like brought on like dozens of apprentices, and then hired like you know the the best ones at the end of the apprenticeship program yeah and there's there's there are advantages to doing that i mean then they're kind of well versed on the problem space like they have both the generic knowledge of the the stuff and the domain specific knowledge that's growing together at the same time and so yeah it is pretty it can be really good it worked out really well for us you know to to kind of have the ways we did application development was the way that they learned it and so it was kind of um you know infused in their brains nice yeah yeah, yeah. that's cool you built them into the into the developer you wanted. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's cool. We'll see how that all turns mm-hmm. out. It's kind of an interesting business challenge mm-hmm. and we'll figure something mm-hmm. out. Would you say this is like your your top priority right now is getting this person? It is, yeah. Place? Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yep. 
So I'm, I'm doing some other like things this month and whatnot, but I'm mostly this is like getting this thing solved is, is top of my list. So you've onboarded some, at least one other engineer, right? In the last month. Um, yes. How's that going? Oh, it's going great. He's amazing. Awesome. Good. Uh, it's, it's so good having <laughs> a great, smart, savvy person mm-hmm. working on your product. <laughs> it's wonderful. Good, man. The other day I was doing a tuple call with him and he showed me uh, a bunch of new tests that he had written for the client, automated tests. Uh, and it was around like kind of the thorniest part of the code base. And it was just like super exciting. Like he did it. He did a ton of work to get that stuff under test. And it was like, oh man, this is so valuable. I was still like kind of struggling to appreciate the value of hiring people in a way where I still kind of had this like, yeah, but if we keep it really small, it'll stay really simple. And like, there's so much profit and blah, blah, blah. And now I'm, I like have sort of turned the corner and I'm like, wait a minute. No, no, no. Hiring great people is so high leverage. It makes such a huge difference. We let's, let's do way more of this. Right. Right. And you don't have the luxury of being able to like necessarily stay small with like, you need these experts to push the product forward (laughs) and, you know, to keep growing or else it'll, it's not going to work. The engine's not going to work. Right. Um, without without these people. Right. We don't want to just keep the product the same. Like we have ambitions for it. And so, adding the right kind of people unlocks like new value that we can add to the product which makes it more valuable for people and that's what i'm all about and that's what i like is like here's the new version of tuple it's better than it was before and people go yay that's awesome like that's kind of what i live for yeah so what's going on in my decal land well i started onboarding users so i have six six folks right now using the product i gotta say this is a really it's a really fun phase to be in and I kind of, every time I finish a call, I'm like, all right, who else can I invite? Like, I want to get, <laughs> I want to get as many people in as possible. And so far it's been, um, I've gotten a lot of great feedback and kind of starting with people who are, you know, in kind of a similar sphere. So a lot of product people who have really good insights, just like they look at the UI and they're like, okay, I see what you're doing here. And this was slightly confusing to me or like this. I think you should maybe mention this in your, like when you build the kind of onboarding wizard thing, like this part probably bears explanation and it's just all these little things that some of them I was aware of and some of them I just was blind to because that's kind of naturally what happens when you stare at a UI for all day, every day, you kind of become blind to spots that, that could trip people up, you know? So it's been really fun. I've been kind of structuring, structuring onboarding by like asking people to book a 45 minute session with me and then you know, I start the call out by giving them a demo of the product. So kind of as a replacement of, of the um, self-serve onboarding flow that's not yet built and stepping them through. And then folks usually have questions throughout the way as I do that. And then once I kind of get through that, then I turn it around on them. And it's like, all right, here's a link that you can use to get into the product and feel free to like share your screen with me and try to get your account set up. And so they, they kind of step through and, you know, the more curious users kind of just start start going on their own little adventure like hey if, it, if you don't mind i'm just going to poke around a little bit and see what's in here and and i'm like oh please do this is <laughs> i mean it can be agonizing sometimes watching people get confused but you know other times just watching when they when stuff clicks and then you know making mental notes about like all right this part needs this part could be a little smoother this part's pretty good it's just like a really really high fidelity you know feedback loop doing that so yeah i love that that's the, that's the best yeah yeah you can't watch someone sign up for your product and not learn exactly or yeah. like think of something you want to improve. Yeah. I mean, so far the feedback has been fairly strong I and mean, people are really excited, you know, and, and it's best when they just start 
they're like, okay, okay, I get it, I get it. They wrap their head around kind of the the, the subtle differences between, you know, Mighty Cal and other products. And then they're like, yeah, and and you know what? Now that I come to think of it, something I do all the time is, you know, need to add additional people onto an event or something. Like they start listing off these things that are like, they're like, yeah, if this was like really, really simple to accomplish through the UI, that would that would make a huge difference. These little things just keep emerging that are just not being addressed. I'm not seeing them be addressed by other products in the market. And that's really exciting too. Sounds like you feel like you're kind of onto something. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's a, there's a bunch of different kind of paths that, that have emerged, but like, I just, I just got off an onboarding call right before we started recording right now. And yeah, one that came about was like someone scheduled an event and then you get that and you're like, Oh, actually, you know what? It, this would be way better if it was half an hour later. What if they could just click a link and say, I want to propose that we shift this event, like not a, not a full on reschedule, but what if that's baked into the interface so that you can just like propose like, hey, would it be would it work for you if we bumped this 30 minutes later? And if it doesn't work for them, then maybe it's fine. Maybe you leave it. But if it does, then they can kick back like, yep, that works. And they confirm it, you know, and I think there's going to be just buckets of these little these little ergonomic things um, that are going to kind of add up. And um, OK, I, I have a, f- a feature idea for you, which is a joke, but maybe like not. <laughs> OK, it's only 85 percent. OK, joke. cool. Lay it on me. Okay. For any given meeting, I want to be able to go and click a button, which is like, I wouldn't mind if we canceled this. <laughs> and that and that does nothing. Yeah. But if the other person goes and clicks, I wouldn't mind if we canceled this, it says, guess what? The meeting's canceled. <laughs> Ooh, that's not bad, actually. There are times where I like am wishing someone would cancel a thing that we have mm-hmm. scheduled. But I don't want to be the person to cancel mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I sometimes wonder, like, I, I, bet, I wonder if they're in the same thing, like in the same state. And we just kind of can't tell each other that because no one wants to make that first move. But if there were like a secret way to register that, and it was just like, ah, Mighty Cal has determined that neither of you really want to do this call, you know, probably say that in a different way, then it just uh, cancels it. Right. Ooh, that's pretty interesting. It's little things like that, though, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The little things like that, I think, are the stuff that they're, they're the things that people will tell other prospects about and talk like like oh why do you like mighty cal oh well it has this thing and like if there's like a cool story or a cool feature that they can share like that's a kind of enough a lot of times i think yeah yeah i think there's a long tail of these like there's people are going to have their their little favorite feature and i think in a product like this that's what can make it really sticky for them and and competitors can look at them and they can copy them but it's like guess what it's a long tail so there's a bunch of people who have a bunch of little favorite features um totally it gives them a reason even though maybe it's a little bit irrational to like to switch or to, to, to use you over a different product like they're like as long as they have an answer like oh it's because i like the whatever feature even if they don't even use it that much i think just like people are a little bit irrational around that and if they have like a, a some sort of reason they can like point to that feels defensible they're like yeah that's why mm-hmm. i did it mm-hmm. yeah another one's like dealing with um time zone stuff so if you're trying to book a meeting with someone who's eight hour shift from you like being able to say I'm going to I'm going to give that person expanded availability because they're in a different time zone than me. But if I share this link with someone else in my same time zone, then they just get the the normal availability. Like like a little bit of intelligence around that. And anytime I mention that to someone who's, you know, on the other side of the world and has a distributed team, they're like, "Hell yes, that sounds amazing." Like I would use that all the time. Yeah. Um that does sound really good. Yeah. I have had that thought before. Mm-hmm. And like there's also certain people where it's like, "Ah, like I occasionally resort to making different levels of flexibility events kind of thing. And I'm like, what level of freedom do I want to give this person? 
But if there was some intelligence in there, I was like, oh, like your all your times are like midnight for them. It's like, all right, well then, fine, I'll get up early if I if it makes if it makes it yep. work. And it's like, and what's the alternative to that is it's it's the extra friction of like, okay, if I don't know what time zone this person's in, then before I send them my link, I may feel like the need to ask them like, hey, where are you at in the world, and what time would be good for you, and like you know, you go through all this manual work of trying to make it, make sure you're being accommodating. And it's like, what if the product could just automatically make you, you know, a really accommodating person? <laughs> totally. Know? Yeah. Um, That's really cool. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. This is exciting. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm feeling good. And, you know, and it's like, you know, the person I was just demoing it to is like, yeah. And before I, anytime I share a link, you know, I always want to like, I'm have a little bit of uncertainty, like, is my calendar up to date? And I was like, I have the solution for you. You can preview your calendar right here, right next to it. So it, it just feels good when you're able to like immediately speak to to a pain that someone is is uh, mentioning, and that kind of keeps happening. So oh, oh yeah. yeah, that's the nice. Um, are you charging any of these people yet? So I am charging them. Everyone who's using it is required to pay. You and I had batted around like like requiring annual, and I decided initially not to do that. Like I just kind of want to see kind of see what attitudes are around pricing i'm already a little bit more expensive on a per seat basis than than like calendly and some of the others and so it's like i don't want to change too many variables at once and it's like i, I want to start with like let's start with the variable of i'm going to be a little bit more expensive on the per seat and we'll i want to see if there's like is there resistance around going annual up front is there desire to and i actually have had a few folks say like i actually prefer to go annual on these things can you put me on annual so so a couple of them are, and a couple are like, yeah, I'm going to wait. It's like, yeah, I, I, like if it's cool, I want to get on monthly and then like probably switch to annual in a month or two. It was inter- it has been interesting to see people wanting annual. You know, a couple of people mentioned like, yeah, I just kind of have fatigue around like these these smaller monthly bills. I would just rather, rather than be rolled up. Um, so. Mm, totally. Yeah. Cool. Well, I'm excited for you, man. That seems like an ex- a, a- a big development yeah yeah it's good and so now i'm just trying to figure out like you know how long to stay in this phase of of manually onboarding people it's like i'm still learning stuff so probably the answer is when i feel like i'm no longer learning then then switch because there's not not necessarily a rush to like open the floodgates just yet um and yeah and even then like there's just a relationship that gets built when you actually talk to everyone that's using it that i think makes them give you more feedback later and be willing to overlook bugs and, and all that I would I would try to stay in that phase as, as long as it's feasible. Yeah, totally. And it's and it kind of keeps things constrained. Like there's stuff that I know. I kind of set these little mini milestones for myself. Like before this one, I was like, okay, I think I can finish the the overlay my calendar feature before I do this call. And I kind of like, all right, well, since I'm this far in, I might as well try to get this done so that the next time I demo it, I'll have this extra little bit to to show off, you know. And so it kind of kind of gives me these little milestones. And it's like I know that I'm not. It's not like, um, you know, I'm having to open it up to, you know, a thousand people yet without this missing this core feature that I really want in. It's just like, you know, kind of incrementally each, each person I demo it to, it's just a little bit better. And that's, uh, that keeps me motivated. So fun. Yeah. Totally. That's great, dude. Yeah. You have six paying customers right now. I that's, do. That's a huge change from the last time I talked yeah. to you. Yeah. It is a revenue generating that's business. The, that's the seed of a, of a business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, congrats. Thanks, man. Yeah. And yeah, I'm excited about some of these uh, quality of life features you have. Yeah, planned. yeah. Just getting to like, yeah, rapidly iterate is fun. Like, 
I've been really lucky with having really, really good um, early access users so far. Knock on wood, that keeps happening, you know? So they give me, you know, the best ones give me, you know, 10 bullet points. It's like overall very positive impression of the product, but here's a bunch of nitpicky things and a lot of them are pretty valid right now. And so getting to just like churn through them, step back, look at the product and go like, ah, this is, this is objectively better now, um, now that I've incorporated this feedback, you know, it's fun. Awesome. It's fun. That's, that's that's my jam too. Yeah. yeah. Cool. All right. Well, you want to wrap it up? Yeah. Let's wrap it this week. All right. Notes to the show. Notes for the show can be found at artofproductpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. See ya. <laughs>